Divine reassurance. We all need it. We all need reassurance. The Lord reassured, I thought of some J's for you, Joshua, Jacob, Jeremiah. Jesus reassured the, the disciples, I will not leave you alone. I will see you again. The Lord encouraged Paul to keep going on his mission in Acts 18. He said to Paul, verse 9, don't be afraid anymore. Go on speaking, don't be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And it says that Paul settled there in Corinth a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. He said, okay, Lord, if that's what you have to say, then this is what I'm going to do. And you might be wondering, well, how did God reassure Moses? We're going to pick up the title Divine Reassurance in Exodus 6, verse 10, and here's what it says. And I have several points for you that are taking notes, probably at least about five things to point out. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses, Exodus 6, 10, saying, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Go and say, let my people go. I haven't changed your mission. <laughs> you might be kind of unsettled. I know you had a failure at the first, you know, uh, the Pharaoh wasn't cooperative and he basically said, I don't know who your God is and I don't know who you think you are, but now your people are gonna make bricks without straw. Try that on for size. And the people were bummed out and they went searching everywhere to find uh, stuff to make the bricks. And they were upset and they were unhappy. At first, when Moses announced that God cared about the people and he had compassion and concern, the people at the end of Exodus 4, around verse 31, bowed low and worshiped. They were so relieved to know that God cared about them. But now, at the first shot at Pharaoh, and God had already told Moses, he's not going to let you go except under compulsion. I'm going to have to force him to let you go. Ten plagues are coming. Moses was still disappointed. We're all human, right? The people got the bad news about the work, and they were beaten, being beat by the taskmasters, and they were upset, and they were upset with the Pharaoh, and they were upset with Moses, and Moses felt like a failure. You ever tried to reach out, you know, maybe you sensed that God had something for you, and you tried it, and it was a disaster. And you're like, what do I do now? I actually did what you said I should do, Lord. Peter, who got a divine recall, and for those of you who are taking notes, one of the ways that Moses is reassured by God is God recalls him. I'll call this a divine recall, a mission reiterated. Peter got a recall in John 21. We're studying this as a group of men on Thursday mornings. And it was on the seashore. Peter was, you know, they were kind of sitting around talking after the resurrection during the 40 days where the Lord appeared and discussed the kingdom of God with them on multiple occasions. And, they, and Peter said, all right, you know, I think it was something like this. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? Peter said, I'm going fishing. And they went out on the Sea of Galilee called the Sea of Tiberias here by John. It had multiple names. And they caught nothing. And I was telling the guys some years ago, I had a friend uh, we were growing up in the ministry at the same time. He's about my age. His, his name is Rob Foster. And he did a lot of time on the mission field, became a pastor. And I remember he was addressing a crowd like this one day. 
and he was commenting on John 21 and he was talking about Peter going back fishing or trying to go back to his old life. And Peter and the others caught nothing. And my friend said to this group, and some of you have tried to go back to your old life. You've gone back fishing. And he paused and said, how is it? How is it? You're going to try to do your life without God now? How, how could Peter or the others, with everything they had been through, go back to their old life? But how many times have we tried? Well, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll give 40% to this Christian thing. You know, I'm not sure I can be all in anymore. I'm going back fishing. How is it? Well, when this lo uh, lonely, uh, solitary figure was on the shore, it was early in the morning, he said, hey, boys, you haven't caught anything, have you? <laughs> no, that describes every fishing expedition I've ever had. <laughs> caught nothing. In fact, I've had people hand me fishing poles just to take a picture as though I had caught something. They caught a fish. Here, Pastor Michael, take it. We'll take a photo right now. We'll lie. <laughs> no, that's not good for my pastoral career. So then I went to a local fishing place. <laughs> and same thing, caught nothing. But at this establishment, they had a loser pond. <laughs> now, the loser pond is the place where it's a little body of water, and they pack so many fish in there, you're bound to catch something. And I threw my line into the loser pond. So the day would be, not be a total disaster. And I saw fish underneath the water having meetings. <laughs> saying, up there is Pastor Michael Lance. Don't bite on anything. He's not a fisherman. He thinks he's a golfer, but he's not a fisherman. Anyway. And around the fire... Jesus said, boys, come, let's have breakfast. And three times he said to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? You, you said you loved me. You said you would die for me. Do you love me? Lord, you know, you know, you know. Then feed my sheep. It was a recall. God is good. Because Peter could have gone back, I suppose, to his old life. God could have said, I'm going to use somebody else, not you, Peter. But Peter's story, oh, it's amazing, isn't it? What God does with him, even after failure, even after denial. How many times do you think Peter replayed that faithful night? I don't know the man. I don't know that man. How many times do you think Peter replayed walking on water, but then sinking? And how many times do you think he replayed in the dark of the night, Peter, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? These are the things that often hurt our hearts and I'll put in quotes, haunt us, right? But the Lord is good. And he recalls patiently and he recalls and he says, no, you, you are my man. Yes, I've got the right guy. Are you sure, Lord? Send somebody else. Send somebody else. No, I'm sending you. Some of you, maybe you're at a point where you feel like, man, I've, I've failed so much. I tried to go back to the old life. He won't give up on you. 
But Moses spoke before the Lord, 12, and he said, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. (laughs) Here it is. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? I'm unskilled in speech. I think this is at least the second time he's made the same excuse. But don't blame Moses. How many times have you made the same excuse? Oh, just once, huh? And then you got over it? (laughs) I want to eat healthy. (laughs) I say that every Monday morning. (laughs) I speak with faltering lips, NIV. I am uncircumcised. I have... I am of uncircumcised lips, ESV, New King James. It's my lips' fault. <laughs> They're not consecrated. Remember earlier when Moses made this uh, excuse, God said, well, who made your mouth? I'll circumcise your mouth. I'll take care of it. I'll consecrate it for my purposes. See, that's just the problem. We think that it's got to be us. One scholar I was reading this week said, you could render Moses' objection as, I'm not ready for public speaking. Probably said that before, right? And that's where Moses was, and I love the humanity of it. And I'm sure you've all given God the same excuse more than once I have. Reminds me of the dialogue with the two dejected disciples on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection, Jesus said to them, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written. Why are you so slow to believe? What's it gonna take? But he walked along with them. Moses questioned why God ever sent him in the first place. Moses may have said, That's it, I'm done, I tried, I knew it wouldn't work, I'm a failure. This is what I told you, you've got the wrong guy. I just can't do it. You can make your whole list of excuses. And I'm sure that we've all probably famously replayed our failures. Have you noticed that you tend to replay your failures more than your successes? Just seems to be the human condition, right? We just... We just stick on that one failure and we often forget how God sees us. See, God saw what Moses would be. And imagine if Moses had not had that opportunity. Imagine if Moses would have stayed in Egypt. And and let's just say he decided, you know what? Sin is pleasurable for more than a season and I'm not... I'm not going to follow God. He would have been swept up in those plagues. He would have been under the judgment of God. But he followed. And no, it wasn't easy. But how can I go back now? I've got a divine appointment. What, What would you do? Go back fishing? But Moses said, Lord, I need, here's what I read between the lines, I need reassurance. Nobody's listening. (laughs) I can't even get your people to listen. And you expect the most powerful leader on the planet, that is the Pharaoh of Egypt, to listen to me? Your people have given up on me. And that's often where we find ourselves. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron 13 and gave them a charge. We started with a divine recall. Number two, how did Moses, how did God reassure Moses? He gave him a charge. The Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron and gave them a charge. Hebrew word is sabah, 
It means the command to give orders or to give marching orders. Paul wrote to Timothy, I solemnly charge you, 2 Timothy 4.1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. I solemnly charge you. Our generation is not too good with commands. We like soft suggestions. A command? Yes. From Almighty God. He has 10 commandments, not suggestions. Jesus said to the disciples, Go and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that I have commanded you. Teach them to obey it. Because He's God. <laughs> Amen? Sometimes I think we've forgotten who he is. And he gave a charge and he said to the sons of Israel and to the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, this is the charge. I want you to bring them out. Bring the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is your job. This is your charge. I believe, gentlemen, I'm going to speak to you for a second. We need to recapture the place of a formal charge to those who are coming up. I've had the privilege of doing a few ordination services up here. Some of you have been part of those. And we gave a charge to those young men entering into the pastorate. And we gave a charge that was biblical. Preach the word in season and out of season. Rebuke, convince, exhort with patience. You, you're going to have to do this because the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears Tickled. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little bit of an attempt at Elmo there. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that's, tell me what I want to hear. But that's not the biblical call of a pastor. It's to preach his word, right? To say, this is what God says. It's go time. But before this all unfolds. You could call this the calm before the storm. And if you're taking kind of sweeping big picture notes, there's a little bit of a summation of some things here. And we get a genealogy. Everybody ready? Isn't that your favorite Bible reading when you come across the genealogies? The son of, and the son of who? And the son of him? And the son of, how do you pronounce that? And I put in my notes that genealogies in your Bible are kind of like watching somebody else's home movies. You know, <laughs> you go over to somebody's house. Hey, we've got the years between when I was one and eight. It's only four hours of wonderful viewing. We're making popcorn. Ready? No. <laughs> I think I'm getting an emergency phone call. <laughs> right? And we're tempted to skip genealogies, and I understand why <laughs> I'm tempted to. But all scripture is what? inspired by God. It's all God-breathed. And you might ask, well, what's the purpose of genealogies? Well, genealogies are establishments of time periods and family history, even rights to land and the priesthood. And oftentimes they link directly to the Messiah. So they establish a line like to the line of David or to the line 
of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to establish uh, the line directly to the Messiah, for example. There's a great genealogy in Matthew chapter one and so forth. Uh, here, one thing we could say is it affirms biblical authenticity, accuracy, and connection. It affirms that Israel spent 400 years in Egypt because of the families that are laid out here. You can put the timelines together with their ages and it's pretty easy to cross-reference the time spent uh, there in Egypt. So let me just uh, assure you that I'm going to move fairly quickly. I'm going to pronounce questionable names with great authority <laughs> so that you will believe that I know how to pronounce them. Now, these are the heads, 14, of their, namely Moses and Aaron's father's households. The sons of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, Hanak and Palu. His name means, I'm going to give you some meanings of names as we move through. Palu means extraordinary. Hezron, Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. Reuben's name means behold a son. Now, something that I think a lot of you know is that Jacob, who was the father of Israel and had 12 sons, had 12 sons through four different women. And the first four were born to a woman named Leah, who was not his true love, but Uncle Laban snuck her in on the wedding night. You guys remember that? She had a veil on, and he woke up in the morning and he said, Oi, vey, who's this? <laughs> Well, it's our tradition to give the oldest away first. You can have Rachel, just need seven more years of hard labor. But for Jacob, it was nothing because he loved her so much. And Reuben was the firstborn to Jacob, who's renamed Israel. His name be, means behold a son. This uh, genealogy is bookended. It opens and closes with these are the heads of their father's households. It's organized by families. Some of you have done um, some research into your own family tree, and that can be really interesting. One, one important thing to remember, if you just want a big picture reference, is that this is a six-generation genealogy stretching from Levi to Phineas, and I'll give you a little bit more detail in a second. The, son, the sons of Simeon, he's the second born of Jacob through Leah. Simeon's name means God hears. You have Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul. Uh, that name means prayer's answer. The son of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. Now, all we're doing is just moving through the first kids that belong to Jacob, who is Israel, to establish the link of Moses and Aaron to Israel, to the nation, to the forefathers. And so Jacob's secondborn, Simeon, is proper to lead up to the key player here, the line of Levi. Notice, these are the names of the sons of Levi. He's the thirdborn to uh, Jacob through Leah. His name means joined. That's the Levitical line. According to their generations, you have the line of Levi. You have Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. He designed later a car. Uh, Changed the first letter to Ferrari. And just kidding. And the length of Levi's life was 137 years. 
Now, Levi's three sons are highlighted here and his age because this is the focus of the genealogy. And you have these three sons. These are the three sons of Levi who took the tabernacle, by the way, through the wilderness. The Levitical line was the priestly line and also the line for worship leaders, also responsible for components of the tabernacle, whether it be the curtains or the implements of the tabernacle or even like the foundational pieces. And so uh, you have a name there, Kohath. One of the Kohathites wrote Psalm 84. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And so there are links here even to some of the Psalms. Now, remember the family is leading the children of Egypt out to worship God. This family is crucial because God said, I'm taking the people out of Egypt to worship me to learn who I am, to reestablish my covenant with them. Israel's departure from Egypt was largely to leave the world, in quotes, Egypt is a type of the world, and go and learn to worship God where? In the promised land. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. This is our Egypt, if you will, but we are sojourning through into the promises of God. And so the sons of Gershon, you have Libni, Shimi, According to their families, 18, you have the sons of Kohath, that's Amram. Now, he's a key figure. You might want to mark in your Bibles because Amram is the father of Moses and Aaron. You have Ishar, Hebron, Uziel. The length of Kohath's life was 137 years. The sons of Merari, you have Mali. You have Mushi. He started a chain of raw fish restaurants. Uh, changed the first letter as well. Sorry, but I thought, you know, genealogies, you got to make some attempts at humor in there. It's really raw mushrooms, mushy. Sorry. These are the families of the Levites. (laughs) I know. According to their generations. Okay, so you have the key name here is Kohath's son, Amram. His name, verse 18, means exalted people. Interesting. He's the father of Moses and Aaron. Now, Amram married his father's sister, we'll talk about that in a moment, Yoshebed. Yoshebed's name means God's glory. It's interesting, when you take the name of the couple that is the father and mother of Moses and Aaron, their names combined mean the exalted people for God's glory, Israel. And so, as you move down here, She bore him Aaron and Moses. Now, this is the key to the genealogy. This is why it's here, to establish this connection. The length of Amram's life was 137 years. People certainly were living longer at this time. Aaron and Moses would be then Kohath's grandsons. And you have noticed that Amram married his father's sister or his aunt. You say, say, what? I thought that was against the law. Not in the South. I'm sorry, sorry. That was not even a, not, that was not even planned humor. It's just in the moment. Sorry, strike that from the record. This was, forgive me, Lord. This, this was before the law was written in Leviticus 18.2 that you shouldn't marry a family member. There was no law to break here. They weren't breaking any law. So this is being written by the lawgiver, but it's before the law. 
Remember, even Abraham or Abram married his half-sister, so this came later. It's actually Leviticus 18.12 that you would look at, not 18.2. And so uh, the sons are now listed here in just a little bit more detail. In 21 and 22, Kohath's other sons, Izhar and Uziel, uh, are listed here. So you have the sons of Izhar, 21. You have Korah, he's one of the sons. He led a rebellion in number 16. I think that's why this comes up. Korah's name means, are you ready? Baldy. <laughs> no joke. I'll leave that alone. For the sake of congregational unity. <laughs> then you have Nepheg. His name means clumsy. And Zikri. You have the sons of Uziel, Mishiel, Elzaphon means God has treasured, and Sithri. And Aaron, now we're getting to the key players again, married Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab, the sister of Nashan. Aminadab and Nashan were both ancestors of King David from the line of Judah. So you have the Levitical line and the Judahite line that marry together in the line of Jesus, which is very interesting because it establishes both the priestly line and the line of Judah. He's the line of the tribe of Judah. Uh, these two, Aminadab and Nashan, are listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 4. She bore Nadab and Abihu. They were killed for burning strange fire before the Lord in Leviticus 10. And then you have other sons of Aaron, namely Eleazar and Ithamar. So these are his sons. The sons of Korah, that's Aaron's cousin who led the rebellion in number 16. And he was also from this Levitical line. And I think that's part of the reason why he raised up in the wilderness. He said, Moses isn't the only one who you guys should listen to. I'm also from that line. And he led a rebellion. And it didn't go well for him. Uh, if you recall, the ground opened up and swallowed him and everybody who was in his camp. And down went Korah. You have Asir, Elkanah means God has created. You have Abiyah, Saf. These are the families of the Korahites. And Aaron's son, we're almost done, Eleazar means God has helped or God has aided. He became one of the high priests, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the father's households of the Levites. Now here's a summation according to their families. Uh, it's been noted that Phineas, who was uh, one of Aaron's, uh, I, I believe here, a grandson, he was Ethiopian. His name means Ethiopian or black man. Apparently his mother Putiel was African. This is reading from Riken, one commentary. He said, Phineas took a stand when a man had come into the Lord's house with his Midianite mistress to have sex with her in the tabernacle to try to defile it. He is called the sons of Aaron the priest, and he, he is described by God as zealous, as zealous as I am for my honor among them, so that in my zeal I did not put an end to them. Numbers 25, 11 through 13. And when this man came into the temple, to do something abominable within the temple structure, Phineas took a spear and put it through both the man and the woman. This would be a wonderful uh, devotion for you this week. Okay? <laughs> You're like, what in the world is going on at Living Truth? 
simply this. This is the word of God. <laughs> and so he, yeah, he speared him. And uh, the Lord honored him because this man was trying to defile the temple. It would be like someone coming onto a property and doing something intentionally gross and bizarre and immoral to try to make a statement. That's what was going on. And Phineas put an end to it. Now, it was this same Aaron and Moses. Thankfully, the genealogy is now in our rearview mirror. It was the, the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt according to their hosts. That word could mean their armies or their divisions. The Israelites would not leave Egypt as fleeing slaves, but as a marching army. And in Exodus 17, they're going to run into the Amalekites where Joshua is going to be fighting them shortly after their departure from Egypt. And they're going to have to learn how to fight. And Moses is going to have his arms up. And we'll look at this in a later study on the top of the rock. And when his arms are up, yes, I got, a, I got one who's copying me out there. Yes, they're winning. And when his arms fall because he's tired, they're losing. And there's a lesson in there about how we fight our battles, but I won't. I'll get ahead of myself. Now, they were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the sons of Israel from Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. Now, the repetition is important to establish the link of the Levitical line and the right to represent God before the Pharaoh and before the people. And for Moses to understand that God has the right man, even from his lineage, he is literally a Hebrew of the Hebrews. His mom and dad are both Levitical. They're both from the line of Levi. I've got the right guy, Moses, and it is you. You even come from the right family. This is no mistake. I wasn't just throwing out the line to see who might respond to my call. The burning bush, your call, everything about your life has come to this moment. You are my man. Even your family history bears that out. And I think this was another way of to reassure him. And here's what I would say to you. Don't forget who you are. You are the beloved of God. You're a Christian. God called you. Some of you, maybe you could think back to just months ago and some of you to years ago. And I don't know where you were and what was going on in your life when you were called. But I'll tell you what, when I was called, I was call, called out of a life of rebelling against God and quickly felt a tug into the ministry. Now, that developed over time, certainly. But I was called out of darkness into light, and God, pretty early on in my sojourn, essentially said to me, Michael, you are going to serve me. And I will tell you, there were times I ran from it, times I fought it, times I wondered about all the same things that I think a lot of us wonder about. But I would just say, if you're taking notes, don't forget who you are. The enemy wants to steal away who you are. What kingdom you belong to, don't forget. It's time to take a stand. And Moses can't forget who he is, his credentials. Now, it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses, 28, in the land of Egypt. We, we have the location, so we're not dealing with the burning bush. This is a new situation. That the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Those four words there, I am the Lord, are what hearten me. He's God. 
His name is there, Yahweh. It's Y-H-W-H in the original. And what it means is, I am the all-powerful. I am the eternal God. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I hold everything together. I am the Lord. I'm the one sending you. This is not about your skill set. It's not about your doubts. It's not about your faltering lips. It's about me and my power. I'm the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. This would be like having to show up at the White House with a message. This would be about all the doubts that would flood your heart. Can I even get a meeting? And if I, and if I could get a meeting, you want me to say what? <laughs> the whole system that you've set up here, Pharaoh, is over today. <laughs> and what do I show up with? A staff of a shepherd. Can I have a something different? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> nope. But Moses said before the Lord, behold, just one more time, I am unskilled in speech. How will the Pharaoh listen to me? I think this is the third time he's made this excuse. Ever get tired of your own excuses? Ever hear yourself make the excuse for the upteenth time and go, ah. Oh. But I'm sticking to it anyway. <laughs> I'm unskilled in speech, faltering lips. God says, no, you're going. All of my questions, all of my concerns, I must remember he is the Lord. And then the Lord said to Moses, we're going to move up to 7-7 in Exodus 7-1 is where we are. Now, the Lord, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I make you, okay, you want reassurance, I make you as God, that's the Hebrew word Elohim, to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Now Moses had to be thinking, in what world do I go as a shepherd before this world leader and he listens to me? God says, well, I'm gonna make you something in his eyes. I'm going to make you as God to Pharaoh. Now, in Egyptian religious belief, they believed that the Pharaoh was a divine being. And maybe he himself was convinced of it. And by the way, the Pharaoh sent all of his messages through a spokesman. So rarely did he ever speak directly to someone who approached him. He had a sidekick, a prophet, if you will. He was considered divine, representing like gods like Ra and Horus. And he was supposed to be a manifestation of the deity or deities. And then he had a sidekick prophet who spoke his commands. And God said, you know what I'm going to do, Moses? I'm going to make you like God before him. We're going to play his own game. And I'm going to make your brother like your spokesman. And we'll, we're going to have a little battle here. We're going to see whose God is really God. You ready? I'm going to make you as God right before him. Now, does this mean Moses was divine? No, I think we've all figured that out by now. He ain't divine. There's only one God, Galatians 4.8, by nature. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's no other divine being. But Moses will become an instrument through which 
God will speak as though God were pleading through Moses. And whenever you speak on behalf of God, you become a vessel for the living God. I often hear Alistair Begg say, Lord, let the people hear not the voice merely of a man, but your voice. Preachers for the last 2,000 years have stood in the stead of Christ with all their faults and all their shortcomings and said, oh Lord, speak through me. You speak to a coworker, you share the gospel. Lord, let them see Christ in me, the hope of glory. Uh, Dr. Martin, Walter Martin, who's since gone home to be with the Lord, tells a story about a situation where there was a, it was a Russian play going on, and I don't remember all the details, but the main actor was uh, witnessing to a Jehovah's Witness who was his, uh, the main actress in the play. And he had been sharing the gospel with her, and she was kind of closed off to it. And in one of the scenes of the play, he begins to sing to her, and it's within the script of the play. And, and he could see on her face that she was startled. And she committed her life to Christ after that moment in the backstage and she said, something happened while you were singing to me. It was no longer you. It was Jesus. It was like you were made into a different man at that moment. That's what we want to experience. We are, we will never be God. <laughs> He's cornered the market on deity. And anybody trying to get there is going to fall woefully short but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the other most parts of the earth, Acts 1.8. Jesus said to the disciples, you're gonna be persecuted and you're gonna be brought before kings and governors and when you are, don't worry about what you're gonna say because the Holy Spirit is going to speak through you exactly what you are to say. That's what God does. That's why we are but jars of clay, but we house a glory that the world doesn't know. And when they see glimpses of it, they start to wonder about us. What happened to you? You were just little old so-and-so, and now you're saying, thus says the Lord? You're talking about eternal things and the kingdom of God and all of this? Yes, this is what God does. He changes us, he saves us, he calls us, and even moves us from one degree of glory to another to become more like Jesus. I make you as God. You are Adam. You're, you're a man of the flesh, but I make you as God before the Pharaoh. This is what he's used to. I give you divine authority. And Aaron, who will eventually be a Kohen, a priest, will become a Nabi or a prophet. Never again are they described this way in the rest of the book, but here God has something special for them. The deeper picture, I think, is obvious. This is what the Pharaoh was used to. Peter Enns explains, in Egyptian royal ideology, the Pharaoh was considered to be a divine being, so by calling Moses God, Yahweh is beating Pharaoh at his own game. It's not the king of Egypt who is God, rather it's the shepherd leader of slaves who is God, in quotes. And this Moses uh, God defeats Pharaoh in a manner that leaves no doubt as to the true nature and source of his power. God controls the elements, the bugs, the livestock, fire from heaven, the water of the sea, you name it. He even has authority over life and death. 
Moses is not simply like God, uh, the Pharaoh. He is truly God to Pharaoh in that God is acting through Moses, close quote. Moses was not divine, but perhaps he becomes a shadowy figure of one who would be the ultimate God-man, and that is Christ Jesus. You see, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through our Lord Jesus Christ. And from the lesser Moses to the greater Jesus, he is literally the God-man. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now you must speak to all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh, that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. This is not where you belong. You are going to lead them out. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Now, God's word certainly can have a double effect. Some people hear the word of God and it softens their hearts. And other people hear the word of God and it hardens their hearts. This idea of a hard heart speaks of that which is callous. It speaks of that which is stubborn. Pharaoh was already stubborn, Exodus 3.19. He won't let you go except by compulsion. This was a problem for Israel. Write down Deuteronomy 9.6. They had a hard, stubborn heart. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, Mark 3.5, Jesus looked around and was angry at their hardness of heart. And even in Mark 6.52, Mark says that the hearts of the disciples were hard. Even after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 plus women and children, their hearts remained hard. And I think a good prayer for all of us is, oh Lord, soften this old hard heart. Because sometimes, even as a believer, our hearts can become callous and they can become hard and we don't want to we don't want to risk anything anymore. We don't want to open our heart to love again. Some of you have been so hurt, you're afraid to love again. You're afraid to risk again. Now, in Pharaoh's case, his heart was particularly important because the Egyptians believed that it was the all-controlling factor in both history and society, quoting from one commentator. It was further held that hearts of the gods Ra and Horus were sovereign over everything. Because Pharaoh was the incarnation of those two gods, his, his heart was thought to be sovereign over creation. And God's going to say, no, I'm going to deal with his heart to harden it. You could say in one sense, God gave Pharaoh over to the stubbornness of his heart. You can write down Romans 128, 121 through 28, where God gives people over. If they remain stubborn, at some point, he'll just give you over to your stubbornness. Okay, you want to go that way? Then go. And when and not if Pharaoh will not listen to you, when he won't, because God knows the future, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my host. That's, the, again, the language of armies or tribes. My people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The word judgment, shefet, means also vindication. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. And there were some from other nations and from Egypt who actually got behind the bloodstained door. 
and decided to join Israel. Wouldn't you? How many plagues would you need to see until you finally said, okay, I think I'm going over to the other side. (laughs) How many times would you have to see Pharaoh embarrassed until you said, you know what? I think team B is the option for me and for my family. And God says that part of the reasons for the plagues is that all Egypt will know that I am the Lord. God is not a localized God to Israel. He's the God of the heavens and the earth. Everything is his. And he says, I, when I do this, even Egypt will know that I am the Lord. Now, I want to just make this modern just for a second. This last year, we have had what we might describe as a plague, right? And we've seen the reaction of the world and the church to the plague. Let's put aside all the negative for a second. And let's turn to the positive. What have we watched many people do? Turn to the Lord. You see, this world belongs to him. He's in sovereign control over it. You don't have to live in fear. If you know him, you can trust him with everything. He wants you to be wise, but he doesn't want you living in fear. And as you step back and just look at our world, just look at our community for a second, just look at your own life, people that you know at work, people that you know in your family, What's the response been to this last year? And is it sticking? (laughs) That's what I always wonder as a pastor. Okay, yeah, the people watching the live stream is through the roof. How long will that last? (laughs) Maybe I'm a bit of a pessimist. I think I'm more of a realist because I've watched it for several decades now. What's it going to take for us to finally realize we need the Lord? It's not about even all the little controversies that we could talk talk about. It's about the fact that people know that there's a God in heaven and he desires and does reveal himself. And so Moses and Aaron did, and this is the key, they did as the Lord commanded them, final verses, thus they did. And one final reassurance for all of you, Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to the Pharaoh. And all God's people said, wow. They qualified for every discount in town. (laughs) Denny's, golf courses, you name it. They got the discount. And yet, they were the guys chosen to lead Israel out of Egypt. Some of you are barely getting to the golden years, and you've already disqualified yourself. I'm not going to do anything anymore. Let the young whippersnappers go do it. What am I going to do? Walk in, let my people go. Maybe that's what Moses looked like. I don't know. That made him even more of a wonderful vessel of God because it wasn't about his power. It wasn't about that he was in the prime of his life. It wasn't about that he had all this prowess and speaking ability and strong. I know Charlton Heston looks good in the original movie. I'm with you. But he does get old, right? But he was glowing with the glory of God. And what do you think Moses learned after he stepped back? And imagine him writing this. He's writing it. Moses is our author. Oh, what a whiner I was. (laughs) Yeah, third time I said, I I can't talk. I'm afraid. (laughs) 
God delights to take the foolish things of the world <laughs> to confound the wise. Amen? He's so good. And I think once you realize your own deficiencies, that's a good place to begin. You qualify. <laughs> Father, thank you. Thank you for your living word there. We packed a lot into a message here, but uh, your word is alive and powerful and it has lessons for us. And, and I pray that those lessons, those realities would burn in our hearts, Lord. You use people like us and you use so many in this room so tremendously far beyond what we could ask or imagine. And some are just beginning to feel the tug. Some have experienced it. Some and others are just saying, Lord, would you show me my gifts and show me how you would use me? Thank you for the excitement that we sense in the body of Christ. There are certainly pockets of revival happening, even in some dark times, Lord, really. And that's really what you do is you take sometimes the hardest of times to show us your glory and your grace. Sometimes that's what it takes to get our attention. So forgive us for being slow of heart to believe. Would you bolster the faith of the weak? Would you baptize us with a boldness from our Father, from the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you heal a room that I'm sure is filled with Many inadequacies, I'll put that in quotes, that we feel, Lord, some of us have had many nights when we've reviewed our shortcomings and failures. But that doesn't disqualify us either. Thank you that you didn't give up on Moses or Peter or many more that we could talk about in church history. And thank you that he, here we are now, Lord, with the same God, the same call, the same one who says, I want to speak my message through you in your life. If you've not met him yet, this would be a great time to get to know him, to cry out to him and say, Lord, I want to know who you are. Be my God, be my king. I, I believe that Jesus came into this world and died on that cross, prayed if it's you. I believe that he defeated death just like he said. I believe there's a hope. And I want to know that. I want to know it for my own life. I want to share it with others. If you're a prodigal and you've been running from the Lord, maybe you feel like maybe that hard heart description is you. Well, the Lord can soften your heart in a, really in a moment. Maybe that's your prayer. Maybe, Lord, soften my heart towards you, towards your people again, even towards love maybe towards an enemy. And then, Father, for this wonderful congregation, all the different ministries and missionaries and things that are represented in this room, would you strengthen your people, increase our faith, strengthen our resolve, help us to be filled with your love and truth this week.